Okay, hello everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us again and thanks for supporting our first podcast. The response was overwhelming, very positive for us and reinforcing what we were hoping to do. Um, showed us that there was some real value in trying to share our story with everybody. And um, I hope you keep doing that. Um, however, whichever way you want to, the, the website, there's a place there to make comments and contact. So hope you'll follow up on that. Yeah, I know a lot of people reach out to me, mostly uh, my age, but some, some older um, people, but a lot of kids my age reach out to me talking about how they've had similar experiences or um, a lot of texts. But even I was in the gym and I had a couple people just come up to me and they were like, hey, I listened to the podcast, thought it was awesome. I dealt with similar stuff. So I thought that was cool. People I would have never expected um, dealt with those challenges, but I guess that's kind of how it goes when um, I think everyone kind of deals with it at some point. But um, today we wanted to talk about um, things we wish that we knew before, before we had to deal with, um, I mean, the loss of a parent, but just the, a struggle itself, what we wish we knew before that and what we've learned from it. Um, so, one of the things that both of us, we've talked about this a lot, but that we learned and we wish we knew was that uh, people weren't going to judge us and that, you know, talking to people, really there's no negative side to sharing, um, you know, what's going on with people, but people you're comfortable with. I tried uh, therapy stuff and that it just, it wasn't for me. I know a lot of people rave about it and a lot of people love it, but for me, I didn't like sharing um, my feelings with strangers. I know a lot of people share that opinion. So for me, I started sharing uh, what was going on with me with uh, my friends, my father, um, even a doctor was the first person really I shared anything with. Um, but it was a doctor I'd been seeing my whole life and I was pretty comfortable with. But there... Their response wasn't what helped. I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of times people try to give advice, and um, I was never looking for advice, but what helped me was when I told my friends about it, they, they never tried to give me advice. They kind of just listened. And I think that's something that is huge for a lot of people when um, I know I struggle with it, but a lot of people tell me stuff that they have going on or stuff that they're dealing with. And I try to give my two cents and my advice, but instead, um, really, people just want someone to listen to them, and that I think that's something that I learned that I wish I knew before that people are willing to listen to you if you ask them just to listen and not respond. Really, yeah, I, um, you know, Quentin's so right about sometimes as as men or sometimes as parents, we thinks we we think we're fixers. And we don't come with a book that helps us fix every problem. Um, we went to our Quinta mentioned, we went to see a, um, a counselor and um, very well intended, but Quinton, as soon as he came out, he said, this is just not for me. I don't want to come back here. And so I actually, that was a good, good thing, his honesty with that. I went more to friends because I knew the father-son dynamic was not always going to work the way I wanted it to helping. 
I had to learn to listen. I wasn't really good at it. But um, I did reach out and empower some of my friends and a couple of people Quentin trusted. And uh, one guy would take them to the gym and work out with them. And um, we always really appreciated that. That might have been one of the biggest helpers along the way. But I think, you know, like Quentin said, once someone feels you're willing to listen, they'll more freely talk. And uh, even in the last week, I was surprised by a couple people that brought up topics that were so personal and private to a stranger, but they were just looking for someone to listen. So my experience taught me to do that. Definitely something I wished to do when I was younger. And one more thing on that is Quentin, as a young guy, I would want him to react a certain way, which was very unfair as a parent, because I thought it would be good for him. He wasn't ready to, and he, you know, it had to be on his terms, and he had to figure that out. And I, you know, I had to become more of a supporter than uh, trying to direct him into what to do. Yeah, uh, one of the things I thought that was really interesting was that um, before uh, my mother passed away, you had her. Um, or you did it with her because she was kind of struggling, but you had her write a um, letter. It was about 15 pages on lined paper. It was like a letter um, just of what she would want to say to me after she died. And you probably can talk more about why you did that. But um, in the letter, she wrote a paragraph about um, how important it is to be a good listener. And that was something I had never learned until after she had passed away, but it's something that I wish I knew um, beforehand was how important it is to just to just listen and not always give uh, give your opinion, but that's something I'm grateful my friends didn't do. They did just listen, and you did um, over as time went on, but just more, just had someone to listen to me. Yeah, my wanting him to do what I thought was best for him almost became combative, um, he already felt pressure, anxiety. He didn't need me to put more on him. wasn't my role and shouldn't have been. But, you know, sometimes we, we're true to our nature and it, it's not always the right choice. But I'm so glad Quentin brought that up. We didn't, we didn't talk about that before doing this today. But someone, you know, guys go off to, in the service and they're going off to, especially in the war, they'd go off and they'd write letters to home in case anything happened. And um, my friends and I were talking about this once and I would sit with Cindy and she didn't really, sometimes she was better than other times. I mean, Cindy actually spoke French her last, so the last three years of her life, she couldn't speak or really communicate. And, um, she was more French than English for a while because dementia kind of circles you back to your youth and that was her first language. But we would sit there and you know, I'd kind of push her in directions on the topics because she, Cindy really didn't, you know, and believe what was happening. I, I don't know exactly how she felt because by that time she couldn't express herself well. Um, very scared, um, frightened, and I think um, that letter was a good idea. That, I highly recommend any type of communication um, not knowing what's around the corner for us. Yeah, uh, that letter was, uh, it's definitely a good idea for not only as a parent trying to express maybe what you want to say that you couldn't have while you were alive, but 
as the kid, I'm very thankful that I have it. It's something I read uh, pretty much every day, at least a part of it. Um, and I'm, it's definitely a good thing to have. And uh, that's it was probably an interesting experiment, too, while you were doing it. But um, another thing that I wish I knew was, um, in, I think in the mental health world or when it comes to personal struggles, people everybody's reacting to a challenge once it comes, but, um, nobody's actually preparing for it. Um, and I think I, if I knew how to be more prepared, which I think is something that we hope by doing this. And, uh, when we speak in, uh, to groups or to whatever ages, whether it's kids or parents, we hope that we can help them be more prepared for when a struggle comes their way, whatever it is. But, um, one of the things I wish I learned that would have helped me deal with um, what was my mother dying, but would be how to take care of myself, um, which starting with uh, nutrition, when my mother was sick, I would kind of just go out and we would, we would get meals from um, a deli down the street. Uh, almost They were pre-cooked meals that you could just throw in the microwave. Um, because it was easier and you weren't home as much and there was something you knew that I would have something to eat. Um, but I knew that when I wish I knew when I was younger, what I was consuming wasn't healthy for me, my body or my brain. Um, and when you're not eating healthy and I also wasn't working out as much, it does impact your mental and physical health more than you realize. Yeah, I think everything's... Um Again, just with our, with our background, we didn't have family. I mean, Quentin really doesn't, you know, have relatives that, you know, you go away with, you talk about these things. or um, And I, believe me, I have many, many regrets about how I acted, uh, you know, leading up to the time where Cindy was, it was almost too late to do certain things. And um, eating, I think, is like Quentin says, and he... He works at his nutrition and pays attention to it and his workout and so on. His world is different than my world growing up. And I can't, he knows 10 times more than I do. And I think than most my age group knows. But I wish, I wish one of the things I wish, and we might jump around a little bit here because we do have different viewpoints. But one of the things I wish I had a, um, I had reached out more to have more of a sense of community. I didn't realize till after Cindy died how Quentin's friends' parents were a wonderful community group. Like, they expressed it in different ways. But I had never done that. Maybe because of coaching little kids, you keep your distance and you're scared of snowplow parents or whatever people want to call it. But you get in your own little group, and that's just not healthy. It wasn't healthy and helpful to our house. And I wish I did more of that when I was, um, when Quentin was little and developed those relationships. Uh, yeah, it was my it was my friends that I learned how to um, eat and take care of myself from. Um, my my friend group from home is extremely, um, almost obsessive with uh, their gym and what they eat and how they look. Uh, they're extremely into it, and it was something that I was never really into uh, growing up. But it's something I wish I had learned. And I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a uh, you know, I, I'm not a workout guru, but 
I have learned how to eat, and it's something I think that everybody should research, whether it's what preservatives are on your fruit that you're eating or what uh, steroids are in the certain types of meats that you eat. It's something that being knowledgeable on all those topics has benefited me greatly, and it's something I wish at a younger age I had been taught um, that if you eat a certain food, it's going to make you feel better than if you eat maybe a dessert-type food. Um, even just something as simple as that, I would wake up and eat. I would eat a donut because it was more convenient, um, but I wish I knew that that was going to make me feel a million times worse than if I woke up and ate a salad. And it seems like common sense, but um, as a 14, 15-year-old kid with not a lot of uh, parental supervision on what I'm eating, it was hard to know uh, the difference. And I think to any parents listening out there, or I, like, from my standpoint, I wish as a kid that I had a parent that was into that nutrition part of it and could help me along the way with uh, eat this type food rather than that. And it wasn't something till I learned till I was about 16. Um, just, just doing my own research, and I could recommend a ton of podcasts, a ton of websites that talk about nutrition stuff, but it's all stuff that I've learned on my own. And I think if I had known that beforehand, um, I would have been able to handle the whole situation of my mother being sick much better because I would have been in a lot better physical and mental shape which makes everything easier to deal with. Yeah, we are what we eat, as they say. And, um, and our house was not a bad eating house. But with everyone different, and, you know, for everyone's households now, they're so busy and kind of that rat race lifestyle. Um, one of the things that we didn't have going on where we were always, Cindy worked full time until um, she got sick. And we were always passing on the fly and, um, Quinton's getting something to eat quickly, even as a young kid, like everybody, because you only got 10 minutes between stop A and stop B, and it's just not a good idea. So, um, I think we're going to, we'll put recommended podcasts on the website too, right? Yeah, I, I already, um, well, I'll put the, uh, the one that I recommend to most people when they ask me about that stuff, and, um, it's, a uh, Dr. Huberman's podcast. I'll put, I'll put the link to it on the website or in the description. And we just want to, uh, everything's percentages. So the better you eat, the uh, healthier you are. And where you draw that line, obviously, is up to everybody. But, um, I mean, Cindy was a gluten-free, pay attention to what she ate for the most part. And um, we're not saying that had anything to do with her health. But there are, and you'll find from the places that Quentin puts out there, the proof is there from people doing studies on what you eat. Yeah, and there's a lot of... Um Again, we're not going to try to play doctor and our nutritionist or whatever, but the, the link between nutrition and your physical health is directly related to your mental health, and that's been um, very scientifically proven. But physical health, I wish I knew. Um, I wish I knew how to work out, and that goes right along with nutrition. But if you're eating right and uh, working out properly, just and properly is whatever it is for you but if you feel good about yourself and it's, it doesn't matter how you look you could be 300 pounds but be eating right and working out and you're just naturally 300 pounds but you would feel better than a person who 
might be super skinny and doesn't um, exercise at all. It's all about how it makes you feel, um, which has been an interesting thing to learn. But I wish I learned how to properly exercise. And when you get depressed and anxious, one of the things you don't want to do is you do not want to exercise at all. You don't want to you don't want to move around. So I would end up lying in bed, um, you know, just almost wasting the day instead of doing something like getting up, even just going for a walk outside. Like that's a, a form of exercise I wish I knew um, to do when I was 15 because now when I get stressed or anxious about something, I know if I just go go for a walk outside, go for a 30-minute walk, I end up forgetting about whatever it is that was bothering me. I think both um, Cindy and I were kind of workout nuts, so always growing up in a gym and so on. And Quentin played sports, but we didn't even connect the two uh, workout needs with mental health. We were ignorant to it. Um, but one of the things I want to get back to a little bit on the, on the household is that because of the rat race, I don't think and I actually talked to someone this morning about it, is that the adults are always busy and they don't get that time to discuss what's going on in their house and with each other. And I think because of our house being like that with Cindy, I actually um, sent her down a rabbit hole a little bit about not being able to express her insecurities. She was very shy in some things and needed that slap on the back a lot for uh, support. And I wasn't as good at that. It wasn't my nature, but it was also uh, not being as good a person as I could to my spouse. And I think what happens is that one person goes off with the, uh, the child to an athletic or a music event or whatever, and both parents don't really get to sit and then compare notes because they're always doing their job structurally. And I don't know, I don't hear a lot about people sitting down as families to eat because they're always rat racing and they get out of school, they're going somewhere and I think um, we kind of lose our kids in there somewhere. And the guy this morning told me, he said, yeah, 10 o'clock at night, my wife and I get to, get to talk and that's never real productive because they're just, they're exhausted from their day. So as a parent, I think um, we didn't communicate enough not only for us to know how we felt about things, but to share information, maybe something Cindy saw going on with Quentin or maybe uh, from my point of view. And I guess that, um, you know, I think Cindy felt that I was someone that was making judgments on her and maybe that didn't help her speak more freely about how she was physically and mentally feeling. And then when I watched her in the example of on the computer and Quentin and I actually seeing that she thought the computer was talking to her, my reaction had no background information on what led up to her feeling that way. And that wasn't good on my end. Yeah, um, Dr. Ben Peterson, who we both uh, listen to a lot and like to listen to, always talks about how if you have, um, if in any relationship, what, even if you're busy, you should spend um, and he's a psychologist. You should spend 90 minutes a week talking about just your lives to and keep Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson, Jordan not Ben Peterson, Peterson. Uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, spend 90 minutes a week talking about your lives to maintain a healthy relationship, which is something that when we were so busy, um, whether it's a father son relationship or a, a 
spouse relationship or me with my mom, I don't think we spent 90 minutes a week talking to each other in general, let alone talking about your relationship or your lives. Um, but that's something that we definitely do now and probably spend too much um, of the recommended time together, which has its other <laughs> cons. But um, yeah, that's it was an interesting psychology note. Um, the 90 minutes a day, uh, 90 minutes a week in your busy weeks that that's been proven to maintain a much healthier relationship. And that's something that we do now, but definitely didn't do back then. Yeah, you come home, maybe you get a quick bite to eat, and the door closes in the room. And you don't, other than how was practice, this or that, how school go, and um, yeah, not, not as productive as we would like to. I think one of the other things I would have done is, um, and I know a lot, a lot of people are way ahead on me. This is just my experience. I didn't put our future in order where I was prepared for a health issue in the house, whether it was um, health proxies. I mean, I ended up doing it, but I got lucky on health proxies. Uh, we had a wonderful man who was our lawyer on conservatorship, um, then had to go over to Mass Health. The people could not have been more wonderful. But there's a lot of luck involved in that. I did not give myself the best possible chance where we would have lost our house or um, health care is so important. And we were able to do it, but only because I just got really lucky crossing paths with some people that kind of slapped me in the head and said, hey, you got to do this. And in a quick thing on that, the night before I had my Zoom, because it was during covid Meeting with uh, Mass Health, I have maybe 300 papers on the floor in the living room, and I'm getting ready for a 10 o'clock meeting. They already had all this information, and the meeting probably took five minutes, but I didn't sleep for two weeks uh, going up to that. But I, I, I'd like Quentin, and then I'll talk about it too, to talk about the importance of sleep. Yeah, well, I was going to talk about, um, I was going to lead into that, talking about how um, social media and what you watch and, pray, I, well, I call it what you consume. So it's what you eat, who you listen to, and what you watch. Um, so everything that you consume impacts your mental health. And one of the big challenges for me in an already dark time was dealing with um, technology um, and on sleep. Um, if we're talking about sleep, I would stay up sitting on my phone um, all night. I would just I would just sit watching videos, scrolling, watching videos. And um, I wish I had um, – well, you guys were pretty on me about technology. But as stuff got harder, it kind of loosened up and I took advantage as a young kid. Um, I wish I had someone older to tell me what I know now about how much watching – a video can impact your mental health instead of sleeping. Um, I wasn't going to bed at the proper time. I would stay up all night watching just just the news. I was really into the news, and the news can be extremely depressing. And um, I wish I wish I knew how to sleep. And the biggest part about how to sleep isn't the whole you need eight hours a night. And again, I'm not a doctor. This is just from what I've learned in research. You don't need eight hours a night. You need what's best for you. And what's best for me is different than what's best for my dad. And 
we can both run on different amounts of sleep. We can both, um, we can barely get by on certain amounts of sleep, but there is a certain amount of sleep that helps us be at our peak. And for me, it's going to bed without being on my phone for a while. So if I'm on my phone and then I just flip over and go to bed, I won't sleep as well as if I had just lied down, sat there for 30 minutes, maybe read some of a book and then gone to bed. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, sleep's a huge part about feeling good and there's so much that goes into that, but yeah, I, um, so I'm not a good sleeper. I'm, uh, I didn't appreciate the sleep. Maybe it's cause I think I, uh, convinced myself I didn't need it, but, um, I've never been much of a sleeper. I've always worked long hours and just became normal, but I'm on that downside. I'm 67 years old and now I'm seeing if I get a good night's sleep I'm a lot better at grabbing my keys and remembering where I put them and I think with Cindy uh, first of all with Quentin when he had the incident in the kitchen when he you know was going to hurt himself I would I would stay up all night just hoping I didn't hear anything or he didn't have something in his room or whatever and then as Cindy got was sick I would sleep either on the couch or in the hallway. Once I felt Quentin was down, I would get in the hallway and just sleep on the floor because Cindy, her brain didn't tell her what time it was. I had tried to give her melanonin. Melanomen? Melatonin. It's like cinnamon. Man. <laughs> and uh, to give her helpful things that were natural, but she, her brain wasn't telling her when it was sleep time, so she might go to bed, she might eat, and then not realize she did it. But on the idea of sleep, I'm really trying hard now to find ways to rest and sleep. And, you know, my, my business gets involved with my phone a lot. But I'm now, for the first time, I'm turning off my phone. And I will, as long as I know Quentin's in a good place and there's nothing I have to worry about, my phone is off. It's not, it's not a, on silent or vibrate. It's off. Because I'll turn over and look at it. So once I got in the habit of doing that, it was better. And I do feel better. Um, but I was worried about Quentin. I knew he was upset. And as I learned more about sleep and someone else was telling me they were changing the school times as far as what thought they were doing studies on sleeping for kids at school. And uh, one of our friends was involved in that. And a superintendent Ashton was involved in that. And I was like, I never thought about that before. You just went as long as you could go, and then it was time to go to bed. But, you know, the value in sleep, eating, those probably the two most important things. We, we always worked out. That was my wife worked out all the time, and as do I in whatever level I can. But the sleep thing was definitely a deprivation for me. And sleep and um, nutrition are directly related. And there's doctor studies out there. And the biggest thing for me was I just wasn't educated um, on it. But for me, if I have a day that I eat, um, if I eat healthy or more, more weeks in a row of eating healthy and eating better, um, I don't need as much sleep. Um, and it's really interesting. Like now in my life, for the first time, I wake up. Um, pretty much without needing an alarm clock, I'll wake up before that alarm clock because when you have proper nutrition and uh, better energy levels, you don't need as much sleep. So that's why it's all relative to um, to how how you are and how uh, what kind of lifestyle you live. Um, 
but it's sleep was one of the biggest helpers and problems for me dealing with a mental challenge because the downside of it was that when I was struggling and um, very depressed is that all I wanted to do was sleep. I would go in my room and uh, right when I got home from school, I would go to bed for pretty much the rest of the night, wake up at midnight and then be sitting on my phone the rest of the night until it uh, until morning came and it was time to go to school. So learning um, not only how to sleep, but when to sleep. Um, I take I mean, I still take naps, but now they're for maybe 20, 30 minutes most of the time instead of uh, those long three, four hour naps that mess with the sleep schedule. But for me, it was finding a consistent sleep schedule that made me feel the healthiest. I'm usually in bed by like 9, 30, 10 and up by 5, 36 for the most part. Um, and that consistency has been the biggest help for me, just the consistent part of sleeping that... When I was struggling, I was so inconsistent, and it made it much worse for me. I think, um, and, and Cindy was an excellent sleeper, um, but Cindy also suffered from depression. And when I first was dating Cindy, she lived in Montreal, and um, I actually would go to her uh, meetings. She was on uh, Prozac, and I would go to her meetings. I knew nothing about this stuff except the negative stories of these drugs that people were being given for depression but it was helpful to her but one day we lived in um, Taunton when we were first together and one time she wouldn't answer the door I was locked out and I actually climbed up the fence and back and went in through the bedroom window she never woke up and you know people get in there some people everyone's different there was such a deep sleep there but on that topic of her having depression we didn't know a full family history and I recommend that for everybody to get, because isn't that one of the questions they ask you when you go to, your, go to the doctors for stuff? And we, because Cindy never knew who her dad was, we didn't even have half her history, and we didn't get a lot from her mom either. So um, that's something I would recommend that we didn't have, and when it came time to answer those questions, I had nothing for the doctors. So um, a lot of these things are genetic or hereditary and um which is which again is that that's for the professionals but um you know that Quentin has learned so much about diet and so on that's all going to serve him very well yeah and um so social media was the other big thing I wish I learned more um mostly how to stay off it and when you get to my age of being in college um most of my friends in my age group uh, they don't really, you don't use social media as much, but the high school, middle school and high school age is a, it's a really difficult age for, um, the whole social media world because not only are you trying to learn really everything about, uh, life uh, now you throw in social media and it's about a hundred more curveballs than probably you grew up with. Um, maybe a thousand more than different curveballs. Yeah, different. Yeah, different ones. But um, social media, I would. Um, I wish I had learned to not use it when I was younger. Because the thing about social media is, especially when you're dealing with a mental health challenge. But social media at that age is your day never really ends. So we talk about this all the time, but 
you come home from school, um, for any parents that are listening to this, when you came home from school when you were younger, that was the end of uh, your school day for most of you guys. You wouldn't see any of your peers the rest of the day until you went back to school the next day unless you were playing a sport or something. With the world of social media, your day as a kid, it's never over. You constantly are seeing what all your friends are doing, what people you aren't friends with are doing. You're constantly comparing your life to others, which for me, as a 15-year-old kid, I was comparing my life to others. I'd watch all these kids go on fancy vacations or hanging out with friends after school, and I was living in my world, and that was something that was really hard for me um, that I've learned now that everybody goes through stuff, and you know, really, there aren't that many people that live extremely happy lives, but when you're 15 and are looking on social media, it's something that is so hard to learn. And uh, I wish I, I wish I knew that we call it the "my life sucks," but the the phrase "my life sucks" is something that I always used when I was younger because I would compare my life to other people's. But it was all just because social media threw a false pers- uh, false image of this person into my head, and I thought that they had everything made. Yeah, well, it's not. You know, for us, it was on TV shows. I mentioned Ozzy and Harriet before. A couple of people over the age of 50 knew what that was. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, the kids only know what they know or what we, what we tell them. And past that, we shouldn't expect them to know anything else. If we give them a phone and had they have it on all night, they have free access to, the, to whatever reality or non-reality they want. But the, I heard a great phrase the other day from a friend. He, he said the kids show up at school with the invisible backpack, which... Teachers or parents, we don't know what's in that backpack unless we know those kids well. Or, or Quinton's lacrosse team shows up for practice. They got 20 kids from a different place, and they got their invisible backpack of, you know, what's making them feel a certain way when they come into that particular endeavor, whether it's school or any other outside school endeavor. And each kid has whatever their world is. We can't tell them how... To handle that, we just have to listen and help them handle it. Because in the end, it's their, they're going to process it in the way that their brain can at that age. And we have to help them through it. I think guilty as a parent myself, trying to be too direct on that. Um, I don't like the bully word. It was actually used not too long ago. And the bully word is a word that, you know, sometimes we're trying to, teach sometimes we're trying to get something done and certain push button words are very sensitive now and um i guess that's probably one of the things maybe social media ties into that too because my world growing up was not like that so for kids now i think when they go on social media who knows what they're looking at what they're seeing is that the life they'd rather have instead of their own does that make their life less because it's not what they're watching on social media. And Quentin said it well last time is, you know, there's so much that life has to offer. But um, one quick thing on that, we had um, a boy where I was coaching. He was a freshman, and he was a great kid, smart, you know, good basketball kid for us. We put him on a JV team because we wanted that coach who was very empathetic and very understanding 
to help this young man through the year. Two years later, we weren't coaching there anymore. And actually, it might have been the following year. And this young man stepped in front of a train and took his life. And even now, I would love to know more about what happened. And I'm shy about going and finding out more. And those parents were wonderful people with us. And I would want to learn more so I, they, I could then help someone else with it. And I think now when I have that opportunity to have a conversation like that, I won't shy away from it. Um, but that, that example comes to me all the time whenever I hear. And Quentin had brought up a train desire along the way too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would go. Well, and suicide is a copycat um, ideology, I think, that the stepping in front of a train has become a popular way that kids commit suicide. And I had known, I knew this kid and I knew that he had done that. And I would go at night and when I was really um, struggling and depressed, I would go and sit uh, on the bench by at a train station uh, close to us and I would just listen to this train go by and it just, all it really made me realize was how much pain that that young man must have been in to, to actually step in front of that train because when I was sitting there listening to it, I just couldn't imagine how much pain that that would cause someone. Uh, but I wish I had known that um, social media does have a, it does have a positive side and I wish I had known how to use it because now what I've learned is that I live in phrases that I've seen on social media and I, you, you do too. Yeah. Um, you live in a lot of phrases, but some of the phrases that I've learned to live in is I live in um, the Jim Valvano's SB speech is one of the best videos I've watched, but we both live by the, you laugh, you cry and you think that's a heck of a day. That's a full day. Um, I live by David Goggins says that um, you can't hurt me is one of his phrases. So now in my life, if something terrible happens and or I get a flat tire on the side of the road, I tell myself, you know, it can't hurt me. It, it can't ruin my day, which is really all that means. Um, you can't let a small thing ruin your day. And recently I came across a Steve Harvey video that we both watched that he recommends that every day you wake up and just think about... Um, just one thing that that you're grateful for that maybe someone else doesn't have and that's something I wish I had known to do um, when I was younger because no matter m how much I was going through it actually wasn't that terrible um, I had a bed to sleep in I had a house to come home to I had food in the fridge um, and that's all stuff that I've learned now but I wish I had watched those type of videos on social media when I was younger instead of the types of stuff that I was watching of um, more the more my peers, uh, that wasn't healthy for me. Yeah, I think um, phrases can be cliches if you don't believe in them. So a lot of people talk in cliches. Quentin and I will talk uh, about stuff, like I call it coach speak. You know, they'll say things trying to make their point, but do they really believe in it? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. And I always, I was a Dr. Peck, Scott Peck fan growing up with uh, reading The Road Less Travel. And he always gave the example of life can be really hard. And once you accept that it's hard, then it gets easier right away because it's just, it's normal to have a hard day. 
Um, another good phrase is people that don't get it don't get that they don't get it. And that is so true. And why I ever waste my time batting my head against the wall, repeating something over and over, hoping they're going to just agree with me when they just don't get it. And they might not be wrong. It might be me that's wrong, but that's what I believe in. And I think um, it's so I Phrases simplify life a little bit. You can say a phrase, and Quinton's a Goggins fan, and I'll say that to some people. Now, he is an extreme guy in a lot of ways, but there is a lot to be learned from him. And when I was coaching in Ashland, we used to go to a gentleman's biz place of business, and we would watch, we watched the ESPY speech. We'd watch um, the soccer story about Mandela where Matt Damon is, you know, they talk about uh, racism there. And we would use those examples for young people to watch instead of as a parent trying to tell people, uh, tell young people these things. They, they learn differently from, uh, sometimes they don't want to hear us. They just want to know we're there to catch them if they fall. And I think um, uh, on Quentin's other point, I am definitely guilty and never too, never too old to learn. I have always let the 5% beat me up. And I remember seeing the University of Virginia weight training guy sent a note out. He said, don't let the 5% ruin the 95%. And I was so guilty of that. And even today, I felt myself, I went in somewhere, saw someone I really didn't like, or I felt had been wrong to me and misrepresented me to other people. And I left, I was all squirmy, and I didn't even get the cream in my coffee because I wanted to get out of there. I'm like, why am I letting that person do that to me, whether she's right or wrong? It doesn't matter. And so letting the 5% ruin your day. Um, I'm a huge Steve Garvey fan. I, I just, finding the humor in a hard situation is good medicine. Um, something that I used to have... Um couple of my friends would give me a hard time about or one of my friends but a lot of people I wasn't friends with would give me a hard time about maybe my weight or um that um in high school my dad was the coach and that was the reason I was on uh, a team or whatever it might be but one of the things that David Goggins says who I am a big fan of but he is very extreme and you have to take what he says to a lesser level if you're not like him. Um, but something he says is that um, someone that is doing better than you will never look down on you. Um, so what I've learned now is that all those people who were giving me a hard time when I was younger, they probably were going through challenges of their own. And for those that I know more now when I'm older, and really for one of my friends that I know a lot better now that I'm older, um, he was dealing with uh, a rough household or he wasn't having the greatest time when he went home either. And that's something when you're younger, you don't think of it. It's kind of like the, a kid that's getting bullied might not ever think of why a bully might do that. But as I've gotten older, I've learned to see the other side of it. Um, and that's something I wish I knew how to do when I was 15 was that just to be more understanding that everybody is going through a challenge. Um, maybe it's not as, severe as my challenge was but there is a reason that everybody acts like that and there was a reason that 
those kids were picking on me because of my weight and it was because they were insecure about themselves and maybe they weren't happy at home or being treated right themselves. And that's their challenge. Yeah. And that, if that hits them to make them feel the worst of their day, it's similar to how we're feeling. So we, don't, we won't make judgments on people. Um, I think, you know, as far as being grateful... You know, we saw all these people trying to help. I remember um, Jack Piatelli in lacrosse walking Cindy back to where we were. She was, we didn't realize where she was mentally at at the time. She got lost. I think we were at UMass, and I see Jack walking back with Cindy. I thought she had gotten something to eat, and that was like an eye-opening moment. But also, uh, this guy who's, you know, a good, strong, headstrong guy had that empathetic side that I really hadn't seen it made me really appreciate Jack and the whole lacrosse experience and um, one other thing that's it's kind of funny but it, it depends what you're from I mean I never grew up in a hugging household I um, I just didn't I mean my mother if she working nights if she got everyone off to school she was in good shape and she was a wonderful mom who sacrificed for her kids so I don't mean this in a negative way but Quentin never got that from me when he was younger. Now he's kind of a pain in the butt about it, trying to embarrass me in front of people sometimes with hugging, just because he knows it makes me squirmy. But I have learned from people that I know care how to do those simple type things that I never understood. I mean, I go down the Cape and I watch this friend is having a, a, a birthday party for one of their siblings who's like 60 or whatever something like that and the love that is freely shown between all the people there including my friends that weren't related and and these people invited us as well and just to see that I would love to have my son aspire to that as a normal activity instead of him being the teacher with his 60 year old plus father so, again, if you don't grow up with things or no one shows you, it can be really hard. And I, I hope we get the young kids, not just on that topic, but get them earlier rather than later because it's so hard to understand when Quentin got into his teens to understand what was going on. Yeah, and kind of spinning off that, the last thing that I wanted to talk about that I've learned now, and I mentioned it with that Steve Harvey video, but... It was um, how to be grateful for what you have. And in difficult situations, it's really hard to stop and think about um, how much that you do have and how fortunate you are. But it's something that you kind of, you tried to force it on me for yeah. year. Like you, um, you would almost get mad at me for not being grateful, but it wasn't that I wasn't grateful. It's that I um, had never learned how to express it or maybe how to, or what I should be grateful for, which now um, when you're in a difficult time like that, it is hard to think about everything that you do have. And we call it the my life sucks that you just think that your life is um, so terrible. And for me, I mean, it. I live in a great part of Rentham, Massachusetts. Life really wasn't all that bad. It was just a difficult time. But at a young age... Um, it was very hard to see that, and I wish 
I had someone um, more show me how to uh, or what I should be grateful for rather than telling me what I or that I should be grateful. But yeah, well, we we talked on that, like as a parent trying to like force that issue on someone. I, I had a, a gentleman who uh, who is a very soft spoken guy. Really, he's a nice man. And he says to me, he goes, you might like to come to my church um, we do this thing on Good Friday and it's talking, we take certain words and then we try to give meaning to them. And um, I think the word grace was the one that he was, he and I were talking, just touched on. But I went, i not a real organized church goer. I freely admit that. I'm more apt to go to the chapel and rent them to where it's nice and quiet and just sit and try to breathe and gather myself during Cindy's illness I would go there probably sometimes twice a day just to sit by myself before I came home try to clear my head and do the right thing but grace is something that you learn Um, gratitude I knew how fortunate I was I knew how hard my mother worked to raise four kids by herself Um, Quentin didn't you know, why I ever say to my kid or why we say, well, when I was a kid, you know, do you know how hard I worked for that coat you just threw on the floor? Uh, No, they don't. And they're not going to know that. So my thing now is I'm just trying to set the example. I've talked to him about working hard for years. He's working hard now really consistently for the first time, and I don't talk about it. And maybe just setting the example or him knowing other examples outside our house and I think all those examples he's watched, he's a very good watcher. When he's focused and accepting to what's in front of him, he's very good at it. And he's very observant. And I think um, that's a really good skill set. My background's in psychology. I'm a house painter by job. There's not a lot that goes on on that. But I think the way my brain works is very geared toward that. And, but when you're dealing with your own children... It's really hard. They're your most valued treasure. We all know that. And when you're dealing with them, it gets very emotional. Involve more people that you trust. Get other people involved. They might say the exact same thing you do, and the child hears it more. Yeah. And I'm not... I'm a business major in school, and you you majored in psychology, so you have more of an experience with that, but... I I've never learned in um in school any of what we're talking about. None of this is um like I majored in it and have a PhD in it or anything. This is all just stuff that I've learned whether it's researching myself from doctors or just living through life and I think that's something that isn't done enough in today's society. People don't share their experiences or share from what they've learned everybody just listens to the experts which now in um in today's world the a lot you don't know which experts actually are experts everybody's an expert yeah so i think the biggest um the biggest teaching point and learning point is experience and that's something that i hope we can share uh by doing this with adults and through all ages um, with kids and adults, which is an, a special perspective from an old man and a young guy. Yeah, and I, I do want to touch on what we're going to do going down the road a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
and we're learning as we go. I mean, I can't tell you how much I learned from people's comments. So we want to have guests on that are more experienced in other areas. Quinton's biggest point, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that you don't want to be preemptive. Uh, so that when the challenge comes, we're more prepared, right? So when you're getting ready for a sporting event, you train, uh, you learn your job, your responsibilities, and you hope to perform better. Well, why shouldn't we treat our bodies or our mind any different? I think that people always talk about how to deal with being depressed and anxious, whether it's once you're, once you're there, you should take medicine or maybe you should try to get in shape. But I think that it's all avoidable or maybe not completely avoidable, but it will make a hard time a lot easier if you are well-prepared and well-educated. And that's something that I think that 95% of people that I talked to were missing until they went through a difficult difficult challenge. So, yeah, yeah. so since you brought the old guy comment up, us old guys now, we are all dealing, a lot of people are dealing with health issues replacements of joints, and so on and so on. Who's better prepared to rehab? The person that takes care of themselves physically ahead of time or the person that has to do it after? It's a simple example that as we get older, so if, if I knew then what I know now, wouldn't I have done many things different? And on our experience dealing with the challenges in our house, there's so much more I wish I knew. Um, so we're learning from you, and we hope our sharing helps you as well. But to continue about what we want to do with this, you were saying. What so we want to have people come on um, and talk about nutrition, have someone that really can, you know, with Quentin's information, <laughs> yeah, a qualified on paper person on nutrition um, that can talk to that issue and then tie that into how it may affect someone's mental health. And then we'll have some people have already, we've already talked to some really um, almost courageous people willing to talk about their challenges, whether it's addiction, whether it's losing a child because of these concerns that we're talking about. And I would love to have you hear their story and know that our story is ours and your concerns might not be directly affected by our story. But we're going to have other people come and join us in this endeavor. Yeah, well, what we both wanted to do was have um, somewhere that we could, uh, one, share what we went through, and two, where other people could share what they went through, and three, educate people. So we ho I hope to have, um, even right now I'm dealing with a knee injury, and we thought of how those doctors deal with kids who get seriously injured every day and uh, what problems they face. But we're doing it like this, where we're kind of talking at you and with each other to start, because we do hope that we can build a um, kind of a base to where eventually we want to be speaking in schools. And you can talk, we've already had a good response yeah. of uh, speaking in schools. And we want people to know what, what we're about before we jump into um, to having guests and that type of stuff. Yeah, so we're learning every day, or I am. Um, we actually went to make T-shirts, and I learned four or five things I never knew what represented this and what color means this and so on. And um, So every day, we're, I agree with Quentin, we're thinking, um, 
almost brought me to tears yesterday or two days ago a woman telling me a story about her daughter um, turning into a sap as I get older but um, really grateful that I could make this person comfortable enough that they could vent and I could be for that moment you know her dump truck to kind of put this issue in and feel better for that day so um, thank you very much for the opportunity we have and I hope I, I think this is really going well. We've had a couple colleges we're going to speak at already. Um, daily I get notes from people, from educators, and um, so much support from retired and present educators on how to present this better. And uh, we are not professionals. We just, we just really want to help. Um, so we posted this on YouTube last time, but now um, the first episode is... And this will be on Apple Music Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, the links to those will both be on our website and in the YouTube description link. So whichever platform is easiest to listen on. Um, but we are available on more than just YouTube now, which took a while, but um, was easier than I thought. So, yep. Uh, thank you. Can I, I give the website? Um, the website's www.theuncomfortablesilent.com. Is that right? www.theuncomfortablesilence.org. That's why I asked him to do it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you can check us out on multiple platforms. Thank, Thank you.